I'm actually doing a painting now because someone said pink is not a native color. And that is such a like such a ridiculous comment to me that I've decided to make a painting called Pink is Not a Native Color. I found the brightest, hottest pink I could possibly find to paint the majority of this painting with this color. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, a production of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we have another first, our first pair of siblings as guests. I love first, what can I say? Our guests are Crystal and Rico Worrell. Crystal and Rico grew up in Juneau, Alaska, and even as kids, they were making art all the time. Now as adults, not only are they thriving as professional artists, they also co-own a successful online business, Trickster Company, whose mission is to promote innovative indigenous art. Crystal and Rico are members of the Clinket and Athabascan tribes, and they continue to explore the cultural traditions of their heritage. They've both studied at length with indigenous master craftsmen and artists from the Pacific Northwest, and the formline style prevalent in that part of the world lies at the heart of their practice. However, whether using new technology in their art or applying traditional design to everyday objects from basketballs to playing cards, they remain committed to keeping indigenous art a living, breathing, and evolving cultural touchstone. The scope and reach of their work continue to expand. In July of 2021, the U.S. Postal Service issued the Raven Story stamp bearing a design by Rico Worrell. And in the last year, Crystal has painted two enormous murals, one in Anchorage, the other in Juneau, that with striking vibrancy counteract a long tradition of whitewashing Alaska's history. Rico and Crystal spoke to me from their respective homes, about five minutes away from each other in Juneau, Alaska. I thought it'd be fun to start the interview by asking each of them, given how well they know each other, to describe the other's artistic journey up to now. Okay, I'll start. Growing up with Crystal... I always knew she was an artist. Like she kind of played a lot of the roles of artists, was painting and drawing and everything forever. So it was kind of cool to see her development over the years. And and then eventually she ended up going to Institute of American Indian Art to get her degree and start her professional career with art. After that, we kind of both came to Juno around the same time. I got there a little bit earlier and we started our business trickster company. Rico, you're the elder of the siblings? Mm-hmm. Was it strange to have another artist coming up behind you? I actually didn't consider myself an artist until a number of years after starting trickster company. Oh, how come? <laughs> I, I I was doing mostly like design work and product design and I dabbled in things, other creative things, but creativity is integral with a culture. So sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like you're being an artist or being creative. You're just kind of engaging in your culture. And so it wasn't until, you know, X amount of people were like, oh yeah, you're an artist. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, then let's turn to Crystal now. Describe Rico's artistic journey. Did you think he was an artist before he thought he was? Yeah. I remember growing up, we used to play, our toys were construction paper. 
we discovered we can make pop-ups on our own with scissors and construction paper, glue, crayons. And we actually built this little town out of paper and we'd make these little shops and we had like a bookstore and we'd illustrate all the little pages of the book. We even had like a little clothing store and then we'd have like our hot wheel cars, you know, we'd play around with that. And then our other younger brother, Kyle would play with us too. I always recognize that both my brothers were creative in their own ways. And growing up with Rico, I'd always see him drawing and taking interest in creative things. But like Rico said, it's like inherent in our culture of, you know, growing up native, you know, we'd be doing things like my mom was showing me how to bead. And it wasn't like, we're doing art. It was just a part of, we're spending time together, mother, daughter. And so Rico went to college at UPenn to get a degree in anthropology. And then he got a job in Juneau working to repatriate a lot of our like our Clinket artifacts and our Chilkat ropes from museums, which is super badass. And then he, after his eight-hour workday, I'd come over and we'd practice speaking Clinket together. And then he'd practice playing his guitar. And then he started working on designing. And that's when he started a Kickstarter of designing playing cards that would eventually fund trickster company business opening up and having a brick and motor downtown Juneau. And at the time I was finishing college and I took this business course that I wrote this business plan to open up a gift shop downtown Juneau. Simultaneously, he had written something very similar, but we didn't tell each other about it or talk about it. And then he was like, I got to show you something. I was like, I got to show you something. And then after I graduated, we swapped business plans. Of course, his was like a lot more thorough and and like a lot more logistic. Mine was just like kind of just like creative and la la la. (laughs) But we're like, oh, I guess we're going to do this. And that's when he started doing the Kickstarter. And um, that's what got our shop first open. And then I, once I finished school, I moved to Juno and helped him open up Trickster. You were just saying that a lot of the art you do is just so culturally ingrained and the work that you do is very much steeped in tradition. And yet you're also making art and items that are very much for a 21st century audience or consumer. How do you balance tradition and modernity? And are there ever moments when you feel you're going too far either way in your art or your commerce? I don't ever feel like there is a way to go, go too far with that. Like, I'm always like, am I going far enough? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think being like creating indigenous art isn't something that's time-based or like era-based as much as culturally based and, and cultures are living things. So as a living culture and as a living people, there's no way that anything that Crystal or I make that isn't going to be you know, somewhere along the lines of Clinket or Athabascan art. What about you, Crystal? Do you what? What did you mean when you said you off? You think you wonder if you take it far enough sometimes? Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like and feels weird to say there's a possibility of being too native, <laughs> or <laughs> I guess I've heard of people saying you know things like not native enough, but that's like a really negative, common comment that. I definitely don't give energy to. I have fun living in two worlds of being Tlingit and being a, a modern Tlingit person. I think it's really cool because I can 
dive into playing with laser cutting. You know, Rico does 3D printing and CAD. I love that I can do, you know, painting, but with colors that are really fluorescent and neon um, and printmaking. I can fly somewhere across the world and study printmaking. You know, I did that last winter. I went to Oaxaca City and I did a study of printmaking and woodblock color printing and made a really cool print with really a different spectrum of colors that I um, chose from being in Mexico and like the color palette there is very different. But I used formline design in my studies in classical formline design to create a design. I think it's really fun seeing what I can do and then stepping into public art. I've designed these resin panels, murals of different methods of applying murals. There's just so much science and technology and abundance of learning and trying new things. It's really actually frustrating. I don't have enough time in this life to try everything. And Rico and I have this joke where we like to try everything and we're just okay at everything. We're not good at one thing because we can't we can't seem to sit still and get really, really good at one thing because we want to try all the things. And so we have this joke that we're both just okay at everything. The nice thing about that, though, is is we can also like skill share. So, you know, Crystal's much more interested and better at painting than I am, but I'm much more interested and better at CAD than she is. And so we can kind of exchange ideas and visuals and sort of collaborate on things that kind of help us explore different techniques that we're not individually ready to like dive into and invest in, but I'm still able to kind of explore those those visual opportunities. Yeah, I loved, I saw an interview with Crystal when she was talking about the mural she just created, that Crystal, you just created in uh, Anchorage, correct? Mm -hmm. In which I think you said that the earrings and something else in the design was was came from Rico. Oh yeah, that's the mural I did in Juneau, Alaska. On Juneau. Is uh, to commemorate Elizabeth Pradovich. And so it's her portrait with her clan uh, behind her in form line, the Raven Sockeye, the Hukahari clan, um, which is also our clan. So it was a perfect uh, match to commemorate her. And I used this really iconic old photo of her from the State Museum Archives and took that photo and superimposed it in Adobe Illustrator. Enrico actually taught me how to do Adobe Illustrator first. And I've been using it and learning on my own ever since. So I used Adobe Illustrator to superimpose that photo. And she's wearing this button-up floral pattern, shoulder padded uh, shirt. And I changed the pattern to be Rico's pattern that has formline salmon and Athabascan beadwork pattern on it. And then I put a pair of his engraved silver baleen earrings on her as well. So I was trying to deck her out and like, what would she look like now, but not change the photo so much. So I want to talk about Trickster Company, about that moment when you both realized you had the same kind of idea. How did you go about developing it and figure out what it was going to be? How are you going to work together on it? Even how you came up with the name? I got a little bit of a head start on her because I was I was home first after college. The very first thing I started out with like one of my hobbies that I had when I came home was I was taking up longboarding and I painted my clan crest onto the longboard simply because I just wanted to, I just wanted to represent in a, in a day-to-day kind of thing, like represent in my daily life, 
more of my identity. That kind of caught people's attention when they saw it. So I ended up painting a few more, you know, one for my cousin for one of his birthdays and his cousin wanted one. And I, I think the, I, the idea of representing indigenous idea identity in your day-to-day life was something that people were really drawn to. And so I kind of started with tricks or skateboards and like, you know, manufactured a set of skateboards and used that name. And eventually I, I realized that skateboarding was an interest, but wasn't necessarily the passion that was at the core of what I was doing as much as designing those products were. So then it became very apparent when I was like, okay, I want to design a deck of playing cards now. And it wasn't really a skateboard. I was like, they're both decks. <laughs> But that wasn't enough to, to hold up the name. So I was like, okay, I'm going to change it to Trickster Company. And Crystal, could you talk about your involvement? At what point you really dove in and your contribution to the business? Yeah. Let's see. I moved home and basically jumped in when we started building the shop, just helping promote Rico and his Kickstarter and kind of just playing follow the leader with his branding, his ideas. When you say building the shop, you mean actually the the brick and mortar shop or a yeah, studio or what? The brick I and see. mortar shop. We rented a little shop that used to be an old photography shop downtown. And we had to like rip out the ceiling and the floor and the walls and totally transform the space. And so I came and helped with that. Um, and then once we got the shop open, we had empty shelves, just a bunch of playing cards. (laughs) And people came in, they're like, oh, it's a magic shop. There's cards here. And it's called Trickster. And we're like, not quite. (laughs) We're like, just give us, give us like a little while. We'll have more things than playing cards, but we're not a magic shop. (laughs) But yeah, I just kind of jumped in right away on creating designs. And I started with like pulling prints, little prints that we'd sell in the shop and trying to do paintings as quickly as I could. So we had more stuff on the shelf. So a lot of our shelving was just playing cards and like handmade little doodads that I started making when I moved home. And we didn't have a studio yet. So our house, we were living together and my bedroom was the warehouse. Our living room was the warehouse. And I was sleeping on a futon between boxes and it was also my our studio space. So I was trying to like paint and print make and in between boxes. And it was just like chaos and (laughs) made it a little bit stressful for a living situation to be, but it was like totally worth it because I was just really, really excited what we were doing. Um, And a lot of people were really excited for us. There's a lot of the shops downtown Juno are owned by cruise ships and they sell a lot of little dinky things that are made overseas and historically have made a lot of knockoff native art, you know, like little totem poles made in Bali that are shipped overseas and uh, just really wildly inappropriate things sold super, super cheap in these stores that are majority are not locally owned. And so there was just really poor representation and support for actual indigenous artists. And so part of Trickster happening was like, you know, people were like, what is this? <laughs> and then you decided to move entirely online, right? Is that during the pandemic? Yeah. The pandemic started, the cruise ships were basically severed from coming and our lease was up and we were just kind of at a point where like, oh, this is a blessing in disguise because it's a good time for us to transform. Uh, the, the shop was a 
was a symbol for us, like in a town with so much knockoff art to have a native owned shop. So that was tough to let go of. But in the end, Crystal and I are, are passionate about making stuff more than we are about running a shop and selling primarily online allows us to dive more into that that passion. Is part of your mission also to educate the general public about what is authentic? How does how do you steer people away from the bad stuff, from the non-genuine knockoff stuff? Right. So I'm going to answer a previous question with different words this time and kind of work my way towards that. Another reason that I, I didn't consider myself an artist is because, like Crystal mentioned, I got my degree in anthropology and I came back and I was working sort of for our tribe and some repatriation and some like developing some arts programs for Southeast Alaska. So a lot of what I was doing was creating programs to kind of address some of the issues of tourism, creating this market for knockoff work. Some of it was trying to support native artists as they developed their skill sets, both technically within their art forms, as well as technically with like every artist is also a business owner. Like, so how, how being able to like, um, support yourself with your arts more. And so it was kind of like social based work. And when I started creating designs, they were all with that same goal, those same goals of supporting indigenous arts through design. So like the playing cards weren't necessarily because I was like, oh, this will look nice or be cool, whatever. The playing cards came about because of that knockoff market and approaching it from a new angle. So what is it? Maybe we can't exactly compete with in that market with a hand carved mask right now with there's very little ways to compete with knockoff stuff. So like maybe I can focus another direction and be like, okay, I want to make playing cards, which, which are in a lot of shops, but I could, they could buy it and it could actually be authentically designed. And at a manufacturing level, it kind of meets that market need. So a lot of what I was doing was creating options for these places that were supporting knockoffs to support authentic. There is a lot of aspect of like educating, but there's also like creating new opportunities for them to be able to support authentically. I want to talk about the public art you've been making. Crystal, you mentioned this earlier about moving it that now that the business is online, it gives you more time to explore new things, including public art. But that also means you're working on a totally different scale and you're navigating a whole new slew of bureaucracies. And Rico, you actually, since you designed a stamp, you, you actually work with the biggest bureaucracy in the world, the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. So I want to know, what what have you both enjoyed about that kind of work and what's proved to be most difficult? I guess what I really enjoy about public art is the end piece is really gratifying that, one, it's finished and it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears put into it to get to that point. And there's... The most rewarding part is the people in the community that receive it and getting their feedback. And during, like before the process, I work with different community members and I have apprentices and I interview cultural leaders and try to be inclusive as much as possible during the beginning, all the way through the process, through to the end and after. And so the biggest reward is the people that give me thanks, like the Elizabeth Pradovich mural 
Um, it's really wonderful that I get a lot of requests from the Alaska Native Sisterhood to reuse the image to help promote their cause and support their fundraisers. And it just seems to be like continues to give back in a way I didn't expect. And actually, one of Elizabeth Pradovich's family members, she called me from Prince of Wales. And she was really elderly. She was about 90 something. And she just gave me thanks and talked to me on the phone for a long time. And she was really cute. <laughs> she said, I want to come visit after COVID. I'm going to come visit you. And I was like, please do. And she's like, I'm going to come visit just so I could see the mural. But I should also mention I'm blind, but I just want to be in the presence of the mural. And I was like, whoa, that's like the best compliment I've ever <laughs> received. Yeah, really. You can just pack it up and <laughs> end right there. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like just the amount it's shared, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to everyone, a community of people. And it it helps warm our community and bring more diversity and representation of color. It's kind of like the shops in Juneau. A lot of the public art in Alaska has historically been very lacking of representing indigenous artists. And there's just so, there's like such an amazing amount of variety and talent in all the different cultures in Alaska. And so it was really frustrating to see a lot of out of state artists who are really wealthy and like had this opportunity to create public art in our community. And I was like, there's so much local talent. Rico was a really big part of getting me into public art. He was the first one to start going into public art and then kind of pushed me in towards it. And I like just embraced it fully. And now I am applying it to a bigger scale, like mural and applying my, my painting to it. But yeah, I, you know, public art is, it's not easy. The applications are, you know, 30 something pages and they're all in engineering terminology. They're really intimidating for a lot of locals. It's kind of grueling to work through the process of getting it passed, convincing all the like city and state and assembly. And like, I kind of had to like put on this face where I am engaging with like a lot of politicians and influential people in the community that I didn't really have to do that before when I was hiding in my studio, you know. Now I'm like, I'm literally up on a lift 15 feet in the air and, you know, applying this mural and there's like, you know, the Anchorage mural, that one's, I'm totally spacing out the dimensions. It's like 120 something feet by 48 feet. It's massive. I'm really good at operating lifts now. And that's really satisfying. <laughs> it's really scary at first. Cause like when I, right before I start a mural, I get really, really nervous. I have moments where I like, I cry about it and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know if I can do this. I can't pull out now. There's a lot of pressure about the design. This one in Anchorage, I was actually covering up an old mural that had been there for nearly 30 years. And the old mural was um, done by an artist that no longer lives in Alaska. Uh, we couldn't get a hold of him. I don't even know if he's still alive, but he did this very monochromatic depiction of Anchorage's timeline. There's a lot of airplanes that were on it, and it was basically acknowledging Anchorage's white history. There's no acknowledgement of indigenous people except in, and it was like a very linear timeline with numbers. And so it was just kind of, it was past due to put a new mural up. One of the hardest parts was like getting a lot of public like ridicule and like almost feeling like discriminated for covering this piece. You know, a lot of, you know, my partner, 
deleted my Twitter while I was doing the mural because there is, you know, like this feed that was just people saying the nastiest things, the most ridiculous things too. I'm back on Twitter and I was like, okay, that was good that I took a break from social media while I focused on getting the mural done. I've been working on the mural for two years and then the actual application of the mural took three weeks and it was raining, it was windy, it was cold, it was foggy, it wasn't ideal weather, but we got it done underneath like the mass amount of time and pressure and the elements and my fingers being so cold I couldn't bend them and then people jumping over the barricades to yell and like literally go under my lift and be like, hey, I just have one question. It'll take 30 seconds. <laughs> but that times like a hundred different people. <laughs> and so, you know, like try to keep my headphones on and just play some music. And, you know, like after I read some of the comments on Twitter, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to do my hair fun and I'm going to wear a crazy outfit and just play the role super hard of like, I'm a crazy artist. Call me these, these things, you know, and I'll, I'll embrace it. Right. I'm actually doing a painting now because someone said pink is not a native color. And that is such a like such a ridiculous comment to me that I've decided to make a painting called Pink is Not a Native Color. I found the brightest, hottest pink I could possibly find to paint the majority of this painting with this color. Um, and I'm really excited about it. So I'm just, you know, I'm like, okay. Rika, what current or upcoming project are you most excited about? Crystal, she talked her move into um, public art and large scale arts. With my little bit of flexibility that we've gotten, I've kind of moved into trying to learn sculptural form line. So a lot of our artwork, if you look at it, it's just, you know, it's, it's on a two-dimensional plane and form line in that form is a certain way. And then, of course, there's sculptural form line. So you think of like totem poles or house posts, that kind of thing. So which is form line still, but just in three dimensions. So it's a lot to learn. And so I've been really focusing on trying to learn that. So I'm working with Jackson Polly's, who's uh, from from Ketchikan and has done quite a bit of sculpture in, over the years. And I'm helping him carve a totem pole right now. Carving's not really my primary interest, but it's a good way for me to learn. And it's it's the traditional medium for 3D form line. And at the same time, I'm learning how to digitally sculpt the majority of my time is being put into that right now. And I just got a grant from Juno Community Foundation to create a, the end product will be a bronze sculpture with a augmented reality artwork over it. So you'll be able to see the sculpture oh. in person. And then when you like put your phone over it, you'll see an animated digital art overlaying and interacting with the physical art piece. Crystal, what about you? I am really excited about tomorrow, Google is launching my artwork on the Google browser and the Chrome browser in honor of Native American Heritage Month. So they're featuring a handful of Native American artists and my art will be on the Google Chrome browser starting tomorrow. Well, that's incredible. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm really excited about it. I'm, I really love the direction I took the art. It's a bit different. I don't typically include portraiture or self-portraiture in my art. Um, I did this time because I thought it'd be interesting because, you know, if you Google Native American, a lot of what comes up is Edward Curtis photography of old natives and headdresses and posed or just like, you know, a Native person 
sitting bull or, you know, like really old photographs of stoic looking natives looking super native. But if you Google any other ethnicity, it shows like modern people dressed in modern clothing and like what they look like. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to um, include some of my, what does a native American in the modern day look like? So I'm really excited for that to happen tomorrow. If you'd like to learn more about Rico and Crystal and see some of their work, just head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. We're heading full on into the holiday season, so I would be remiss if I didn't encourage you to check out tricksterCompany.com to find some very beautiful gifts. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre Carlos Lenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, Thanks so much for listening.